Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. We got a Wednesday night. We got the Braves playing. We got the Braves playing. We've got some fun belt action down at App State, down in Boone. Yes, sir. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina closely here tonight. Uh, You know, one of those. Why would you be doing that, Curtis? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just keeping an eye on things. Uh, um, you know good and well why I'm doing it. <laughs> I will be attempting to do with other coaches and coordinators in the upcoming weeks. Um, but good, good, good. You told me class didn't last as long tonight, Brian. No, a little short one tonight. Nothing too big. We're uh, we're in full on uh, group project mode now, so. Yeah, fun stuff. Full, right? full, full steam ahead. Yeah, it's just kind of a check in and see how everything's going type deal. So, nothing, nothing too big tonight. Very nice, very nice. Middle mid midweek here on a Wednesday on a hump day. We head to the back end of the weekend, and uh, you know, Brian, we've been sitting here kind of talking and you know talking about those vacancies. And I tell you what, we've got a bunch of head coach and vacancies already of some blue buds, um, some other lower level jobs or lower P five jobs and probably some potential, but you know, we started talking about it and you look at USC firing yeah. Clay Walton. They, um, they were in early. They were in really early. Yeah. Um, that, that sounded like one of those things. The second he loses a game, we're firing him. Um, and then, Ed Ogeron, who pulls off the big upset in Death Valley of Florida Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, but it does sound like this was arranged well before that big yeah. win for them. Um, and, it, and it may have been one of those things where, you know, he knew the the air was over, coached a little more loose. That team looked probably as good as they've looked this, this whole year so far. So good for them. Um, but – you know, Coach O out after this year, they, they mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, there's, you know, been whispers of uh, female companions um, oh. participating in practice. <laughs> female companions, kids participate. Like, it's so, it, that is going to be, who whoever writes that book is going to make a lot of money just to know everything about Coach O and what happened there. Um, yeah, and I'm not knocking Coach O. I, I, I love him not being my coach, but... I don't, I, I don't think he's a fit at Virginia Tech mainly no. because several reasons and some of it has to do with what we just talked about. But, you know, I know he won a national championship, but if you are still having trouble putting the pieces together with the resources and facilities that LSU puts at your disposal, yes. then Virginia Tech probably not for you. Not for you at all. Not for you at all. <laughs> Now the other one is Wazoo. Nick Rolovich got fired due to state back. That is going to be a freaking story to follow because he is now suing the school. Yeah, uh, it's going to go. Oh and and the stuff in Tennessee is starting. I mean, I know that that's not a vacancy, but they're the, the stuff that I, they're uh, they're I well. Pruitt uh, Pruitt's put a lawsuit out there against uh, the the uh, university for the full full. Uh, uh, compliments of the of the buyout and other uh, damages, so it, it could get really ugly there. And so, hold on. 
I thought he got fired straight up, and they just had to take the buyout. Did they? Did they? Did they attempted not to pay the buyout? That's my understanding. I need to. I probably need to read the article again just to get a better understanding. But that that was my understanding is that I guess because of the um, sanctions, um, that would be, that'd be my guess is they were trying to essentially they're trying to they're trying to not pay the man. Yeah, <laughs> even though. You know, fired with 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 uh with, you know with cause with, with cause so he's gonna just come out and be like yeah the ad knew all about this phil former knew all about us paying off players and then it'd be like oh, we might need to kill this program but bags uh, bags all right so let, let's 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 also talk about potentially miami and fsu diaz is on the absolute hottest of hot seats i mean yeah diaz's seat is as hot or hotter than fuentes and we know fuentes is on fire fuentes is on fire (laughs) diaz is engulfed yeah i mean engulfed Um, like it's just it's all up and down and you know i told you earlier today brian miami just they can't find the right guy And, and and the thing is what I don't think people understand about when they were winning. Coker had nothing to do with them winning. That team was so talented. Anyone could have walked in there that just knew how to coach simple drills and they would have won. It's as simple as that. And you saw as the, as Butch's talent level went off as did Coker, but Butch was a hard nosed coach. Dennis Erickson was a hard nosed coach. Jimmy Johnson and Howard Schellerberger were super hard nosed coaches. Those were guys who commanded the locker room. And since basically, I guess you can say Butch left, they haven't had anybody like that. And they were like, well, we brought back, you know, Randy Shannon played on the team, right? Randy played on the team, Manny. Like, but the whole thing is you literally have to, in, in some ways, you have to break that locker room, break it. And App State just, Took something to the house. So, Chadwell's down. Got a man. Got uncoached defense. Don't want him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, 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 if you look at those coaches and what they've brought in since then, th- none of them have that. None of them have that mentality of, like, I am the boss here. Inside here, we do as I say. I don't yeah. care what you do out there. And I don't think Miami is a program that can get back to where it was without a guy like that. And they keep going for culture fits. And it would not shock me one bit if they fired Manny Diaz and they hired um, Ed Reed. It wouldn't shock me. One iota. Yeah. And that's a – because what is he right now? Defensive consultant for them? No, no. He is the – he's the general manager. He is the – like the head of player personnel. Okay. Okay. So I I knew he had some role on the team right now. I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah. The director of player personnel, which is a, in in college nowadays, that is a pretty big role. It's becoming more and more of a role, but I could see them doing that. Um, Now, now could Ed, who was one of the boys become Ed, the guy who cracks down on things. Maybe. Maybe because Ed is that type of player, you know, that could potentially happen. The other one you brought up, which I, I shook my head at, no. When you told me FSU. I, 
FSU and and if they can pay the buyout, then I think they make it. They, they take a chance on it. Um, now, can they pay a buyout after still essentially paying, paying Willie Taggart money? Uh, that's the question. But and and do you hit the reset button on something after two years? After you just hit the reset button, essentially after you know one 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 full season of the previous. Ten, uh, tenured coach so fsu is going to be the interesting one to watch just because they're used to winning and they're not but they've already yeah. dug themselves a hole because of how fast yeah. they moved on from taggart they, they dug themselves a deep hole financially with taggart um but i think what they're digging themselves into a deeper hole with is not giving guys time and eventually y'all just keep hitting the ball eventually you know, we're oh, we're gonna give two years, two years. Like you can't rebuild a program in two years. You yeah. can't. I don't care if you have talent there. If you're trying to implement stuff, um, very very seldom do you come in that something's a dumpster fire, get the fire put out, and start rolling again. You just don't. Yeah, and, and I mean, you, you're still dealing with one of those seasons being a COVID season too, which I mean, funky everyone season. was dealing with, but that definitely puts you behind in terms of development. Well, development and installation, right? Yeah. I mean, Norvell had no time to input the offense or the defense he wanted to run. But I say it more to this. Brian, if you were a G5, you're Billy Napier, you're Jamie Chadwell, and FSU comes knocking on your door, hey, come on down here, man. Would you not stop for pause and say, dude, you're giving people a year and a half or two years? Yeah, you're not definitely, definitely too quick of a hook for a coach that doesn't see your program as a stepping stone. Exactly. Now, if they see if you, if they see your program as a stepping stone, then by all means, it's it's still an attractive gig. But if they see if they want their next gig to be, you know, a, a potential decade run at least, um, then yeah, half decade run. I mean, five years, yeah. five six years. Yeah. yeah, they're they're not looking at at FSU. Not looking at FSU at all. So everybody's asking, why the hell are you guys talking about this? Well, because there's going to be fallout. Because again, our, our our minds are where they are. The season is over. This this era is over. The Fuente tenure is over. And you've got to look at essentially who could be. Where's the fallout? So let's let's play the role game, Brian. Because this is how we're going to figure it out. All right. First of all, I honest to God think. There's no way James Franklin doesn't go to USC. Yeah, I, I that, that's that's more than likely happening. That's gonna happen. So you're so you're talking about and, and I, here's where the the couple things that the vacancies themselves don't necessarily hurt us, but who's filling the vacancies could hurt us. Yep, exactly. And so now Penn State, in our more or less geographic region, is now looking for a new head coach and program wise. They're about a step above us. They're a step in terms above of, us. In terms of uh, being an attractive program. Yeah, attractive program, money. Um, but I think with who they are, I think they have the potential. I think our top-end guys would be on their radar. That's my, yeah. that's, my, that's my truth. All right, so start thinking of all your names that you can throw out there. Billy Napier, Jamie Chadwell, Dan Lanning. This goes on and on and on and on. Um, 
but now let's look at LSU. The LSU job, which just won a national title two years ago, a um, little different. I think most people, because you think uh, he took over in what, 16? 16, right? Yeah. It was there five years. He had good success. The last few seasons have been rough based on the other stories that are coming out. That's why he was like, a, if he was still winning between eight and 10 games this year without the shenanigans, I don't think they fired it. I just don't. I think maybe next year. But if LSU goes, where are they going to? You know, I, I think they're looking uh, at uh, at old Sparty, Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker. Now, if Tucker goes and Tucker goes down there in the early two thousands, if Mel Tucker goes, now Michigan State to me is a program exactly like us, similar blue collar, um, you know, similar type portfolio. I'll say that portfolio. About the same level. Um, people, you would say we're probably more attractive because of where we play. They play in the Big Ten East with Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan. Um, but they've still been able to win a conference title and go to the playoffs from there. Um, so, but it's also that point, too, where you know, if you think of somebody like would a Marcus Freeman or a Luke Fickle take that job at Sparty? Being Ohio State guys, would they go yeah. in conference to play their alma mater every year? Um, I don't think Freeman does. Or actually, I don't think Fickle does. I think Fickle, where they are with Cincinnati right now and how the Big 12 reshaped, I think they they, they are where they are. Um, I think I think Fickle is going to hold until he can get the job he absolutely 100% wants um, at, at a blue blood school, potentially his alma mater. Um, with, with, yeah, with, uh, with since he moved into the big 12, that, that kind of creates a situation where he's not in a second tier conference anymore. Um, if he gets the wins he needs to get every year, he will be playing for a college football playoff. Yeah. So, um, that, that, that takes him out of that having to essentially be perfect, um, category. Yeah, and I think that's going to be enough for him to to kind of move on with that uh, yeah. with that situation. Yeah, and then you start thinking about Miami and FSU. Uh, you know, they're still higher than us. Miami can pay more clearly. FSU more clout. Um, but then what you mentioned, what you said earlier was, what'd you say? You talked about the way those programs are viewed. They start coming. They start seeping into potential our coaching pool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if those come open, um, and it's not just the conference thing, but it, it's definitely because of the, the recruiting footprint and everything else, they're going to be looking at similar tiered candidates to who we're looking at. Um, yeah. you know, their, their top guy might be some, someone that's out of our range, but their number two choice is probably our number one or, 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 or yeah. somewhere in that ballpark. So, um, that's going to be interesting to see how that shapes out and whether both of those come open. Um, but I mean, in the pecking order here, you know, we're at least going to be probably fourth on the totem pole, right? Yeah. Um, c- come, 
you know, if, if that's the, the way Witt decides to go at the end of the season, in which we think that's what what should happen. So, yeah, that, we think that's what should happen. Um, What's going to tell the story, and I'm and, and what Witt Bobcock's going to look at is what the stadium's going to look like Saturday. Yeah. It was 56 or 57 last Saturday. It looked good. But if it starts getting under 50, and it could very well do that, and it starts looking very scarce, he's got to look longer term. That's why we were advocating last year, like, you have to look longer term. Because right now, if we were three and three with a brand new coach and we were a field goal away from beating Notre Dame and one possession away from beating West Virginia on the road, regardless of what happens in the pit game, people are like, we're on the right track. They just yeah. had a great game against us. That's what he's saying, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I know some of, some of this was a little bit of um, conservative move heading into a big funding push. But at the same time, there's nothing that buoys a big funding push like the honeymoon effect of a new coach. Damn right. Damn. So that's the honest. Everyone will be will still have hope, and that that's what's lacking from I think overall the fan base right now is that there's still some hope, but I think people are done. They don't have confidence in that hope anymore. Nope. There's zero confidence. And you bring a new guy in, you get a little bit more confidence, and people are looser with their dollars when they feel like there's a chance that it pays some dividends for them. Absolutely. So in the oncoming week, folks, I'm sure we'll be probably talking more about some of the potential candidates. Um, obviously, someone like Wazoo, you know what? If if I were them, honest to God truth, if they could – Hire Justin Fuente and just say, leave the Cornelson guy on your flight over somewhere. <laughs> in the flyover. He's from Missouri, right? Kansas or Missouri. Just 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 touch down in St. Louis and be like, Great knowing you. you. I'm gonna go up to Pullman. It's been uh, real, it's been fun. Hadn't been real fun. Exactly. All right, some hokey notes here on Brian. Let's talk about the booze at the intro. Um Thanks to some some boots on the ground and some listening re-listening to the videotape. Literally, they waited, they waited, they waited. Head coach Justin Fuente. Boo. Um, and then it and, and that that wasn't the only time that he was oh, booed man. in the uh, in that game because uh, once the offense started to struggle mightily uh, in the first half. They were, they were raining down again. And at, at some point when your booze don't get responses, you just, you go home and that's what happened at halftime. That's, that is what happened <laughs> at halftime. Um, and it got the, the end of the, the, the one that was taken about six or seven minutes before the end of the game. That was really ugly. That's, I don't think I've ever seen lane that thin. Um, yeah. You know, in a game. Uh, now we, we, we sit here and, and he was asked the question, Right. He was asked a question and he's and he answered it. He answered it correctly. It's part of the job. You get criticized. You just have to deal with it. Don't you wish you would have gave a Brett Bielema answer, though? <laughs> Dude, you did hear about that, right? I what did. Said? Oh, my God. I did. Yeah. Hey, Brett, you got you got Hey Brian, you're Brett Bielema. Coach, the booze were coming down pretty hard. What would you think about that? Fuck those guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm rich. 
screw you. Don't come here again. What? I, yeah. mean, I can just see, you know, it, it is a part of football. At least he said <laughs> it that way and not some douchey answer. Um, but I think it will continue on Saturday. Um, when he comes out, if the offense struggles, heck, I even think he could get booed if we win. <laughs> we won. Yay. Boo. Unless we go out there and handle our business for four quarters, there's no way that there's aren't there, there's not more booze coming out this this uh, Saturday. That's a catch. Um, what a catch by that kid! Yeah, it's right. it, yeah. it, it's been a it's been a rough go, man. It's been a rough go. It, it has been. Um, other news and notes from the Hokies: Peter Moore, the freshman, is a midseason um, freshman All American. Congrats, Peter. Is he still working on his uh, throwing arm? I hope he is. Because we're going to need at least one fake pass to win something. <laughs> at least one to two more. Yeah, he's got to get a little bit more juice on the next one. Yeah, you, you can't do that. Now, I don't think he'll be passing anymore. I, but on the other hand, you know, we might do something crazy. Um, you still want to have that in your back pocket. It is. G- good for him. But legitimately, I can say this. If – Peter Moore was a bad punter. The season would be worse. Oh yeah, I mean field position is has been huge. It's been huge um, to the wins. So if if we say. could just, I mean, I know we haven't turned the ball over a lot, yeah. but if we could stop, you know, giving that one turnover a game and giving the offense the other offense a short field, I mean, yeah, we we'd be averaging about you know three to six points less uh, surrendered on defense in that that's probably an extra win or two. So exactly. um, Peter Moore field position, making the other offense drive the field. Uh, it's, it's worked in our favor so far. So keep it up, bud. Keep Doing it a good up. Job. All right. Um, news about Devin Hunter and Dean Ferguson. Um, Dean, obviously I do not recall seeing under Keyshawn was out there. Um, Devin obviously hurt during the game, both out for the year. Um, Definitely hurts depth at positions where we're okay. Um, I think it hurts the linebacker room a little bit more. I think Dean's kind of looking like that next guy. Yeah. And now Keyshawn's going to get the rotations. And Keyshawn, to me, he made some errors Saturday. But overall, for his half, he played solid. Yeah, I, I've got no big-time notes. Um there were a couple times where the defense looked like they weren't quite aligned, and that was probably the area that he was going to, um, totally. you know, be the, the the most uncomfortable with, just because that does take um, reps and just being out there consistently doing. It's hard to get the mental reps of of, of making those calls and getting everybody and seeing yeah. everything in real time. Because say what you will, you can practice it, but if you don't, sometimes seeing the other team do it, it just it feels different. You just got to get a feel for it. Um, so that that's one thing. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Devin Hunter, we thought he was going to play a little bit more of a role in, in the ro- rotation at safety. Hasn't really been that been, been primarily a special teams That's player. True. Um, you know, hell of a story. The fact, the fact that he's even on this team and, and making any impact was a big story. So, yeah. uh, you know, sad to see him go down with the injury, um, on a special team snap this past week. So, yeah, best, best of luck to them healing up. Um, yeah. yeah, but on to the next, on, on to the next, uh, well, the next Brian is Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one. 
Colts Niners. Podcast. Colts Niners. One of the teams will be at three wins. Um, you guys will likely get Jimmy G or potentially Nate Sudfeld. Yikes! I'm not. I have your the Colts defense in fantasy. I'm not benching them. They're playing. <laughs> benching them. Um, but I don't know. I I just I don't feel good about the way everything's been handled, the way Brandon Ayuk's been handled, the way the whole quarterback situation has been handled. Um, you know, I really think y'all are probably going to win the game. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. Yeah, we're, we're definitely trending in the right right direction the last few weeks. Um, even even taking the loss to to Baltimore, um, you know we showed you won that game. Fight. I could have won that game. I know, I know. But show, you know, showing fight and showing that you know we we could take care and run run with pretty much anybody in the league. Um, yeah, you know, few snaps in a couple games and we're four and two instead of you know two and four. So. Well, I, and I'm the same way with us. We're two and three, and we've lost the last three weeks by three, seven, and seven. And we've lost to Aaron, Russell, and Kyler. Yep. And and we kept Kyler under 20 points. We are the only team to do that this year. So, and literally with Rodgers, we were here that on Sunday night with an episode. Literally, we scored with 40 seconds left, and 40 seconds was just too much time, and we couldn't stop him. Yep. We've lost by a combined 17 points to the best team in the league, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and another of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yep. Well, what can we do? And we're, we're kind of in the same same and boat. You know I mean, we, we we lost to Russell, we lost to uh, the Rams, and then we you know had a singular fourth quarter takeover by Lamar Jackson to to throw us another L, and then. Just a, a grind fest that we came up short on against uh, Tennessee. Yeah, and y'all and y'all also have been bang, battling injuries. Everybody yeah. battles injuries, but with your quarterback banged and your All Pro guard banged, a little different. Def- defense was a little banged up. Um, you know, I think we're finally getting a little healthy, and I think a lot of guys have settled in. We get Ty back. That that was a kind of a, a lift this past week. So. I think it's, I think it's going to be a good game, regardless. Probably, um, I, I I would go. I don't know what the uh, the over under is, but I'd probably take the under in this one just because I think it's going to be more defensive than, than 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 I think people think. Oh yeah, it's definitely two. Uh, it's definitely two top ten defenses without a doubt, and the over under in that game for Sarah is forty four. So I think they've actually got that pegged. That's about, about right. Yeah, right. And it's y'all are the four point favorite, or actually. We're laying the four. Okay. They are giving us home two plus two. Somebody else get hurt you don't know about, or is Carson limping around that you don't know? Of? No, uh, not that I know of. Uh, I, know, I, I know. I know. Ty is. Uh, he had a little bit of a of a quad. I mean, at the end of the game, but he, they said he's good to go for the game. So, hmm, interesting. Interesting. All right, Brian. Before we get into reviewing the Syracuse. Offense and defense and knowing the enemy, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. 
You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, guys. So know the enemy. We're going to take a look first at Syracuse's offense. And uh, Brian, you've kind of noted to me this is a power smash, a power smash, small spread, heavy read option. And we see it. So we're going to kick it off with the offensive line. You know, that offense is averaging 231 yards a game. They've only given up 24 tackles for loss, 38th in the nation, only 103 yards on that. So just at four yards, which usually for tackle for loss, that's unbelievable. Um, It's really good just, again, how much they run. They've only given up 15 sacks. Now, I will say this. They've only passed the ball 175 times, so they are giving up sacks about 15% of their dropbacks. Maybe a little something to take an eye on. Um, but what are you seeing from this offensive line? Um, because I wish we were running for 231 yards a game. I think we wouldn't have lost a game yet. Yeah, the big thing, like you've already noted there, but they really don't have a lot of negative plays uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they work well as a unit, um, and they do a really good job of minimizing penetration in the backfield. Um, there's no real standout player per se, but there's—I mean, there's just a bunch of really good, solid players across the board that do their jobs well. Um, they're above average in pass pro. They do have the propensity on some of the dropbacks because they don't pass often. When they are passing, it's in those more obvious passing situations um, that that can tend to, uh, you know, cause that sack ratio to get a little bit out of whack uh but they they just do a really good job of uh of pushing guys off the line really good um you know ball get off and uh it's gonna be a long day for that uh that defensive line they're gonna have to to work the whole game man it's gonna be a struggle yep bravos don't fuck this up sorry (laughs) (laughs) oh man five two now bottom five um and maybe the one big upside and some people i I heard or i saw somewhere if it was a tweet or maybe in conversations with someone they're like well this is like what notre dame did but souped up the difference is though we did not go into the notre dame game prepared for it the if you you were if he came in it was like okay if he comes in it's going to be a play at least with this, we have that prep time. And, Brian, we absolutely need to prep time because Sean Tucker, the 5'10", 200-pound running back, I'm out of Townsend, Maryland, a three-star. He is second in the country in rushing. He is at 948 yards. He's averaging yep. over six a carry. He's ninth in touchdowns. He's got nine already in seven games. He's not a he's not a one one trick pony either. Two hundred twenty four yards receiving on fourteen catches, with a couple touchdowns there. Much like Khalil Herbert was last year, he's top five. He's number two in all purpose yards. Yep. What are you seeing from Mister Tucker on the tape? Uh, the thing that jumps off immediately is that he runs hard through arm tackles. Um, he has great vision and patience at the point of attack. Um, but he does, when he gets to the second level, he is a big play threat. He's got second level speed. He's got home run speed. If he gets in the open field, he will make you pay. And he is deceptively good in the screen and short passing game. 
Um, they run him a lot on kind of like those quick running back outs. Um, they, they get the ball to him in the screen game, and he's just really good at turning up field, getting good yardage, making guys miss. Um, and like I said, the big thing for him is that he is a home run threat. So it's not just a guy that we have to contain and make sure he doesn't, um, you know, nickel and dime us, but we also got to stop him from, from banging the big play on us. I hear you, Brian. And, and the thing that I kind of noticed about their offense is there's nobody behind him, really. He is the horse. Yep. Right. He is 1-1. One, one. He's not – there's not an A or B. There's not a spell, a true spell. There, this this is his show. So, you know, it's, it's key, obviously, to stop him. And when you hear all those things, especially that second level, I mean, that's what we're missing, right? Yeah, we're missing the home run hitter like we had last year. And, you know, it's really funny because every year it's like this. This is why football is one of the more amazing sports. Uh, a low, a, a three-star guy out of Maryland, we didn't recruit him. I don't think UVA recruited him. He had like four or five offers. He goes up to Syracuse, and now he's – I'm sure with that skill set, Brian, he's probably already being looked at in the NFL because, again, with the scheme, with the pass-catching ability – I mean, he, he's putting on tape. I don't know if he's a senior or junior. I did not look that far. I want to say you have that information up. I thought he was a junior, but I'm not certain. Give me a second here. I had everything up I needed earlier, and I completely <laughs> took it down. Completely took it down. There we go. Effort in here. I just want to see where he's at because I see a guy like this, and especially the kind of scheme they're running. I would not mind him in San Francisco. Um, we're still efforting, folks. I'm going to get there eventually. Uh, freshman. Sorry, he's freshman. a he's a whoa. He's a second year freshman. Ouch! That hurts for him. You're not supposed to blow up your second year freshman year. You're supposed to blow up your third year so you can get to the league. <laughs> All right, so – but, again, with the crossover being Atlantic, we're not going to probably see him again. All right, Brian, there is one more element to this rushing attack, and that is the Mississippi State transfer, who was a four-star out of Charlotte. 6'4", 230 pounds, Garrett Schrader. Passing stats, very pedestrian. Obviously, we've already said that's not what they're going to do. Um, you know, only completing 53% of his passes for 810 yards, five touchdowns, three interceptions. But, buddy, can he run the ball? 400-plus uh, yards, averaging over five a carry, nine touchdowns. Um, what are you seeing from this big athletic guy who who transferred from Mississippi State in 2020? Why, why didn't we? Well, I guess if we're talking Mississippi State transfers, Syracuse got the better of that against UVA, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> And that's no disrespect to their uh, football player, um, football player. Uh, but, yeah, in terms of actually on-the-field on production, uh, Garrett Schrader's getting it done for them. He's an absolute legit rushing threat in that offense. Um, can run past you and occasionally run over you. He's, he will uh, put a shoulder into you and kind of plow forward for that first down. Um, adequate arm strength. Uh, he's not slinging it deep. Um Accuracy is very average, uh, but he does just enough to complement the rushing attack. But what he really is great at 
is that read option. He's really, he's got a knack for when to keep it. When he keeps it, he makes, he takes it up field, gets good yardage in the run game. Um, so he really has a good feel for that. And that's, what's been able to keep this thing moving because, you know, even when you do stack the box, there's still, because there's that, that element there, it, it's, it's hard to really get a, get a good feel for it on defense. So what are they like? I mean, you mentioned read option. I mean, is it just strict read option? He's going the opposite way. Are they running any inverted beers and he leads and he powers with them? It's a little bit of everything, not so much the inverted veer, but a little bit of everything else. Um, okay. But it's pro- it's primarily the read option. Um, that That's their bread and butter. Okay. So they're not they're not doing a lot of other stuff. They're essentially and and why would you with a guy like Tucker? It's it's in the playbook. Like other stuff is in the playbook, but it's more of a it's dialed up at specific times. It's it's not something that they're calling every drive. Just from looking at how the they're calling their games, um, I, I guess because of the gelled offensive line and two threats like that, the lack of a passing attack really doesn't hurt them that much. It doesn't hurt them too much. Um, it, it only hurts them when you can do a good job on first and second down and get them off schedule. Um, like I said, the, 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 they don't really pass the ball unless they have to. It's not quite Georgia Tech levels of we're only <laughs> slinging the ball on you know third and ten when we're down a touchdown or more. <laughs> it's not quite that level, uh, but it is. They're they're not going to put the ball. It's either if, it's going to be if it, if they're going to put the ball in a receiver's hand and it's not in a third and long situation. It's in the short passing game, usually to Sean Tucker. Yeah, because um, you've already mentioned it. They're, the wide receivers have not done much. I would say keep an eye out for Courtney Jackson. Um, definitely their leading wide receiver. But also watch out for this name, a big guy, wide receiver, 6'6", Damian Alford. He's only got about 12 catches. But he's averaging over 20. Excuse me. He only has about seven catches. He's averaging over 20 a catch, though. So that big guy, they potentially just chuck it up to downfield. Um, but like you said, Tucker, with, with with what he does, he is essentially um, – I think he is actually leading the team, which is kind of – if you're a Syracuse fan, that's kind of a little bit sad, right? Like – the running back <laughs> leading our team in passing, catching. He is. He's leading the team in pass catching. Um, so for us, we're not going in any more offensive players. Disrupt their line, stop these two guys, we win this football game. Yep. That that's it. Yeah. And because say- nothing nothing scares me about third and long, them dropping back and having to get it into a wide receiver consistently. Yep. Nothing about that scares me. In every game they've lost this year, or three, the three ACC games they've lost has all been three points. They yep. lost to Rutgers by ten. Um, so it's not like the losses are oh they lost to FSU, they lost to Clemson, they're getting their doors blown off. No, they easily could have won those games as they did lose them. So that's kind of the worry part. And the other worry part, let's flip it over, Brian. Their defense is good. I mean. Tony White's defense, he's a rocky long disciple. If you're watching San Diego State in some of the late games this year, always a grind fest. Um, you know, what what type of defense is he running here, Brian? That good old 3-3-5 stack, baby. Golly, have we not seen that? <laughs> Let's think. 
we've uh, we've seen that as either a base or as a multiple front of like three defenses so far. Exactly, three defenses so far. I'm trying to think. It would have been Notre Dame, West Virginia, and now. Yeah, yeah. Notre Dame and West Virginia both have three three as one of their one of their fronts that they will show. Right. Um, this is this is the first true three three five base um, where you're going to see that look pretty much every snap um, in some way, shape, or form. And the big guy up front that you got to watch out for is Cody Roscoe. Um, he is oh, the yeah. defensive end. Um, he is an absolute disruptor in the run game. Uh, gets really good penetration. Loves to time the snap count and just kind of blow up an offensive play. He's also an elite pass rusher from that that kind of uh, you know that three man front DN position. Um, does does a really good job of impacting the game from there. And he absolutely must be neutralized for any sustained success in the ground game. Um, whether you run at him or away from him, he does a good job of making plays and getting to the football. Yeah, well. That doesn't make me feel good. But I tell you what kind of is crazy is his backstory, Brian. Um, Roscoe's from Houston, Texas. He came out as a two-star. Now, listen to this. He came out as a two-star inside linebacker when he came out. <laughs> I kid you not. He, he, he originally went to McNeese State. Um, and then with COVID happening to McNeese State, that division essentially canceling, he – Transferred over to Syracuse in 2020, and he's six one. He's two seventy five. So he's even you think three technique, even a little bit undersized for a three technique. Um, but obviously, the way you mentioned the get off the ball, I mean, he's killing. It. He's got thirty three tackles. He's got seven and a half sacks and ten tackles for loss. So he's getting a sack a game. Um, you know, is he primarily on the left or the right side of the offensive line when he lines up? Uh, he's primarily lining up uh, on the offense's left. All right, so he will go against one of our better guys in Lettuce. Yeah, at, le- at least we are going somewhat big on big in that situation. All right. Yeah, but he's not the only problem, Brian. The next two to look at is we're going to take a look at Stephen Thompson, Malik Jones. Jones, 6'1", 220, 64 tackles. One sack, five and a half tackles for loss. Had four interceptions last year, so definitely has some ball skills there. He comes from IMG as a three star. To me, I don't, you don't play at IMG as a three star. So probably somebody missed an eval on him. Thompson, 6'1, 235, 43 tackles, three tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. His numbers are already starting to look significantly better than his 2020 year. He's out of Charlotte three-star guy. Um, what are you seeing out of this duo? Who's the Mike? Who's the Will? And what do they bring to the table? So you got a three-backer set, and both of these guys are the outside guys. So this is the Will and the Sam for Jones and Thompson, respectively. Um, they're the primary blitzers from the linebacker position. So, you know, they usually bring the three-man front and usually an extra guy most downs. Um, sometimes that's the Mike, but usually it's going to be uh, Sam or Will. Um, they both do a really good job blitzing and the run and the pass. Um, and they do a good job remaining under control when they're coming downhill in those run blitzes. And I think that's, that's important because a lot of times 
some of those guys come out of control. They end up making the hole wider than it needs to be. And you get a, a big alley up the gut. Um, they don't do that. They're, they're pretty, pretty sound in that. And neither are our liabilities and coverage. They're actually pretty good. They primarily cover the tight end or running back and coverage responsibilities. They'll have, um, you know, different areas of the field in zone, uh, but they do a good job in both of those techniques. And, um, you got, you got to account for them every snap. And, uh, you know, the only upside is that, you know, coming from second level, unless they time it different, you can at least see where they're coming from. But, uh, you know, the big problem is that you don't know which one's coming at you at any given snap. All right. So obviously a good duo there on the outside, obviously making noise, making numbers. Um, I think what worries me, well, it, what, what I would say would worry me would be the running back and the tight end stuff. But how we've called our offense the last few weeks, there's really no concern there for it because we aren't putting that in the playbook. Um, yeah, we're not we're not throwing to our tight ends, our, our H-backs, or our running backs with any degree of consistency the last few weeks. Uh, it seems like as soon as uh, we lost James Mitchell, th- those elements of the offense kind of went bye-bye, which is kind of weird. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the H-back <laughs> being, being like a linchpin of the Fuente offense, and now it's, you know, we get one injury and we can completely move away from it. I don't know if that's lack of trust in the guys that we still have there, or if it's just designed. Ineptitude. Yeah. <laughs> it is ineptitude because we talked about it when James went down, right? Although yep. they weren't perfect. They're not James. James is an elite talent. Yep. Gallo and Drake have their good qualities. And we're not seeing it. We're, they're, they're using Gallo exactly like they used him when James Mitchell was on the field. They're not taking – they've taken advantage like one time of Drake's athleticism. So it's ineptitude. They yeah. don't – like as soon as you take something off the table for this offensive staff, it's like, what do we do? What, what do we do? I don't, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my fingers. I don't know what to do. Well, with the I think the, I think the bad part is that that yeah they did finally go to Gallo. He had that drop I think on a third down against uh, – yep. Yeah, last week, and then as soon as like as soon as I have, they're like, "All right, well, you're back in the doghouse. Like, go, go block. Give give these guys some confidence. Like, trust that they're going to make some plays. I mean, right now they're not playing with confidence, and you're not doing anything to help them gain confidence. All right. So as good as they have, you know, really solid players at the first and second levels. Even though this guy's not leading the team in interceptions, even though he, you know, he he has some good stats, but Garrett Williams, six foot one ninety, defensive back, thirty-two tackles, three tackles for loss, zero interceptions. But the guy's got six pass deflections already this year. He's out of Harrisburg, North Carolina. He was a three-star when he came out. Um, what are you seeing from Williams? Is he is he making these numbers because he's like a nickel, or is he playing on the outside? He's playing on the outside. He's actually their lockdown guy. Um, okay, so. He, he doesn't get targeted a, t- a ton. He doesn't have the stats because they're not throwing at him a ton. They're not testing him a ton. And when they do, he's getting in there and breaking things up. Um, he, you know, he, they tend to put him on whoever the deep threat is for the offense. And while he has given up a couple deep balls, he gave up one against uh, Wake Forest in particular that I remember, which I know that that is a, the, a unique way of how they go deep in that offense. So that's a little different, but, um, has given up a couple big plays, but has also came in there and broken up 
some really key plays as well that that stopped uh, the other offense from from getting touchdowns. So um, he's going to be the guy to watch. He's the guy that you know could potentially cause Trey Turner to have a long day. Wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. And just you know, again, Syracuse was looked at potentially the laughing stock. Um, of the ACC, we both picked that we'd win this game. I think we might be, ooh, y'all about met a boo-boo there. Um, but, you know, they're, they're top 10 in sacks. They're top 20 total defense. They're only giving up 114 rushing yards a game. So they are a good defense. They're three and four, but, you know, the defense is definitely not the reason. And the way the offense plays, Brian, let, let's flip it over to the Ada version of the Hokies. Can, can the offense just do something, anything? Can they anything. Apathetic? anything, anything? It's don't look apathetic. Don't look, look, so look competent for at least three quarters. <laughs> I, and that's where it's just like, it's so tough to see it because there's, there's so much bad going on. Right. Yep. So much bad going on that, like you've always talked about, keep things simple, do things simple, and that's a and 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 they're trying even lower than that. To me, they're some of the stuff they're running is like I don't want to say pee wee football, but it's definitely middle or high school football. Like oh, we're going to do this and this and this, and you're sitting here like the guys over there in that booth are getting paid. Three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, some more to stop this. Do you not think they're going to see it? Yep. Do you not think they're going to see what you're doing? So you know, sorry for the rant. I know you you said there were two other big keys for you. Yeah, uh, the two other keys are going to be keep time of possession even. Um, As much as they run the football, if we can keep time of possession even, that probably bodes well for the outcome of the game for us. Um, and the last thing is, and I've, this has kind of been a weekly theme since what middle Tennessee, um, no, nah, no, nah, since, uh, since West Virginia, West Virginia, because middle Tennessee, you hated what they did that they didn't try to get him comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Since West Virginia, get Braxton Burmeister comfortable early, give him easy throws, give him throws he's comfortable with get him in a groove so that when you do start adding in those intermediate and deeper routes into the offense, um, as, as the, as the plays go along, as the series go along, you know, he's throwing those with confidence. The receivers have confidence in him. They're making plays for him. Um, it kind of feeds off of each other right now. We don't have any confidence on that offense. They're, they're like afraid to make mistakes. And because they're afraid to make mistakes, they're not making plays. It's true. And they're afraid to make mistakes. They're not being put in good positions. There's no aggressiveness. There's It's almost like someone thinks it's a COVID year again. And, well, this year doesn't matter. Because we've heard those stories, right? Yeah, we're not we're not dealing with that this year, guys. No, we're not dealing with that at all this year. All right, let me ask this, Brian. Um, let's go over to the defensive side of the ball real quick. Um, and I told you this was my thought. I think we have to almost – those bud elements in this defense we see, I think they have to be in full force. 
for this game. I, I think even early, I know you mentioned to me we should look at some cover threes. I, I think early, early, cover one, cover zeros, press, man, load the line. Essentially, if they beat you, bear, what a bear, no bear. It, <laughs> like, do not let them get this running game going. If you want, if if they take, I'll if they take shots and they hit three big shots and they beat us, so be it. Do not let their strength beat you by trying to go off kilter. Uh, the next thing we need to do is tackling must be what it was against UNC and not what we've seen up and down since West Virginia. Um, we got to tackle. Well, we can't, we definitely can't tackle like we did last week. We absolutely oh, cannot tackle like we did against Notre Dame or West Virginia. Um, and the last thing, man, we gotta, we gotta force turnovers because I think we're going to need some good field position to generate some points against this defense. Uh, so turnovers are going to have to be there. We, uh, you know, we, I don't know. We, we haven't really gotten a status on, on Waller yet. Um, whether he's going to be go or not. So very concerning there. Although with their, with their defense, um, you know, as long as they don't get to the outside, especially against Dorian, um, since he, you know, still a little undersized there, that's okay to me. Like if we, if Waller's not here, this isn't the week that we're they're going three wide. They're not going to be throwing it all over the place on us. Um, but I'm, the, I'm more thinking from from a ball hawk standpoint. If they're okay. going to throw the ball up, I want Jermaine Waller out there to to, to grab it. I got you. I got you. You're going for that. Well, I mean, the other part of the defense is I think we've got to have a special team touchdown in some way, shape, or form. And I think to what you said, that turnover, it's got to happen. It's got to have deep, happen deep in their territory. Because I can't see this offense driving the ball more maybe twice on this defense. Yeah. Maybe twice. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that have to go our way this week. And against this is against a three and four team. This isn't yep. against a one loss team. This isn't against a five and two team. This is against a three and four team. And this is how we're talking. Yeah, we're playing tight against a team that at the beginning of the year we thought was, you know, a book at W. Yes, we um, did. And, and, you know, credit to them and then, you know, discredit to to oh. us selling them short and or or at least us having more confidence in what we thought this product was going to be at the start of the year. That's um, what it is. So we'll take the L on that one. Lies yeah. were told. We told them. <laughs> We told them we, we, we saw something that wasn't there and we got sold a bill of goods that weren't good. So let's sell the bill of goods for this week, Brian. Let's get the predictions out here. Um, I'm going to lead off. I'm going to lead off, all right? All right, go for it. I think the Hokies are actually going to win this game. I think if you are sitting on your couch or in a bar, whatever you like to drink, Keep the bottle near you or the six-pack near you because you're going to need a lot of it to stomach this one. I think we win 21-20. I do think we get at least one uh, defensive or special teams touchdown, and I think we get one additional defense sets up the offense for the win. 
Okay. 21 okay. 20. And I think, I do think Cam will be ready for this rushing attack, even though it's been kind of our weakness. At least it's something we have prepped for this week. It's something you prep for, and you don't have the passing element to really, you know, scare you here. It's very much a, uh, you know, you can focus on the rush, take away the rush, and more than likely you're going to be okay on the back end. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not as confident as you in the outcome, though. Um, Hold on. I got a one-point win. My confidence isn't like <laughs> I've got a four-point loss. I've got a 24-20 Syracuse victory. Um, I, it's, it's totally on the distrust of the offense and not knowing, not, not having confidence that, they can score more than two touchdowns. Um, I think that's just where I'm at at this point, unfortunately. I think the defense does enough and gives the offense some chances there, but they don't take advantage of enough of them. And uh, then, like last week. Yeah, like last exactly week. like drive, last week. First, first two drives of the game. Stand, nearly a block punt, 50-yard line, two yards. Yeah. And it, the the defense kept that game as close as it could for the first half, and the offense decided, eh, we're not going to do anything. Nothing, not nothing yet. And I don't think it's the players. I think the players are giving full effort out there. I think it is the coaching staff completely. And we've already had this conversation. I think if you put, I think if you put guys like Trey Turner, Tay Robinson, some of the running backs, I know we haven't looked good. But if, if you're putting everybody in a bad position, like I'm sure you're sitting here, Brian, and this is probably Brian's brain. James Mitchell goes out. You've been using Raheem Blackshear as primarily a running back. All right, yep. screw it. James is gone. Change your offense. Put him somewhere where he can be dynamic. Nope, we're not going to let him be dynamic. We're going to let him be right here. And I feel for that kid because – I think he was sold a bad bill of goods. Like, come here, we're going to use you, and you're going to get all these touches. And in reality, now you're again just a fired Rutgers regime got more out of Raheem Blackshear than we have in two seasons. Well, season and a half. Is he eligible next year? I think so. All right, maybe we get a new staff in here. We could uh, we could uh, discuss. All right. Brian, let's flip it. Let's talk about some other games we'll be watching on Saturday. Um, first of all, let's go year to date. We already discussed it Sunday. You went five and five last week. I went seven and three. I'm at forty and thirty-two. You were at thirty-five and thirty-seven. Um, have you have you done any different analytical scouting this week, or got any? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm making a comeback this week, man. Making a comeback. This this is this is my week to make some moves. I'm going at least seven and three this week. All right, at least seven and three. So he's going to probably pick against me at least six times tonight. Everybody, go ahead and write that down. All right, let's start. <laughs> Army and Wake. Army and Wake. Wake laying three points in this game, Brian. Um, this game is going to be one of the twelve thirty early kicks for the ACC. And I mean, what's the moment here? It is actually going to be at West Point. So up in New York, Army's four and two. Going to be on CBS Sports Network. What do you think about this one, Brian? You've got the kind of new age offense versus the old school offense. Yeah, I I think I like Wake to cover this. I think Wake's going to take care of business. Um, 
I just think that some of the things they do on that offense is going to cause some problems for Army. I think Wake's defense is going to be good enough to kind of slow that attack down, that rushing attack down. Uh, but again, it's at home. Army probably lengthens that game or shortens that game, I should say, uh, to the point where Wake's got to be um, pretty pretty perfect. But I still like Wake to, to close it out. Yeah, I am with you on that. I'm not not like doing this just to to spite you. So, so you know, <laughs> I, I'm with you. I also think with Wake, it's their defense. They're not full of athletes. They're full of good, sound, disciplined football players, right? When you're going against Army, what do you need? Good, sound, disciplined football players who know where the ball's going. Um, a lot of people, you know, scream for years, why did Bud's defense struggle so much with Georgia Tech? Because it was athletes who attacked. You can't yeah. attack the triple option. You can't attack the, the wing option, whatever you want to call it. So I think Wake – I think Wake wins like by 10. I think whenever Wake gets the ball, they score. And I think they'll get four to five possessions, something like 31-21 is what I'm feeling on this one. All right, Brian. The next one here is UMass versus FSU. It's a 12 o'clock kick. The over-under is 60. The line (laughs) is FSU lane 35 and a half. I know UMass is one and five, and I know UMass has lost some games, but they have only had two games. They've had three games of their six that were over 35 and a half. I can't trust FSU. I know they're playing better. I just think 35 and a half is just way, way too much to lay. I will take UMass and the points. Not so fast, my friend. Give me FSU. Uh, This is my, this is where I make up some gap here. This is where I close the gap. This is where FSU doesn't screw me um, for once, (laughs) hopefully. So I'll take FSU and the points. I'll lay those points. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do. They have been playing better. Um, The next one is going to be the head scratcher, right? Oh, the next one is just going to be. I'm, I'm not like, I'm still. I'm literally might sit here and flip a coin <laughs> to decide this one. The next one is the Clemson and the Pitt game. This is going to be three thirty kick. It's at Pitt. Pitt for the first time, I think they said in five years, the Louisville game down at Death Valley against Lamar. Clemson is not favored in an ACC game. Pitt laying three. What say you, Brian? I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm taking Kenny fucking Pickett, Pat Narduzzi, and the Pitt Panthers over Clemson. Um, I just don't th- – Clemson's offense has not sh- – specifically uh, DJ has not shown me that he's playing with enough confidence – in what he's doing offensively to put up enough points against Pitt. And I think Pitt will be able to put up somewhere in the mid to upper twenties against that Clemson defense. Uh, because what they do kind of plays into the, the small weaknesses that, that the Clemson defense does have. So I think they will be able to uh, get a few touchdowns, maybe a, a field goal or two 
and I think they pull it out. So I think they cover that three. Uh, I'm going to go not so fast, my friend. It's Pitt. There's always games where Pitt just craps the bed right when they shouldn't crap the bed. They've already done it once this year um, against Western Michigan. Um, and to me, Clemson's got too much talent there to not eventually get out of this offensive rut. We know DJ's a good quarterback. We saw that last year. Yep. But the thing that I think everyone didn't think about was not so much him. And I know he's struggling, but I think there's some other elements struggling there. Pitt doesn't have the best defense. They held us to seven. But if you saw in that game, there were numerous times where we had really good opportunities to potentially score, and we just crapped the bed. I'll take the three, and I think Clemson pulls it. I think Clemson pulls the upset um, and makes all things right in the world of uh, ACC football. That's, that's, that's a weird time to say Clemson pulls the upset in any in ACC matchup, it, it, let alone. ACC. It's true, man. It's very, very it's true. Pit. All right. Next game, BC Louisville. Louisville at three and three. Boston College at four and two. Louisville is laying six and a half points. Um, Louisville's last game, they lost by a point to UVA. Essentially, they missed a field goal, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and Boston College coming off a pretty uh, bad loss to NC State. So, you know, I sit on this one, Brian, and it's it's home field worth six and a half. Is Louisville that good? I've seen Louisville's offense score some. I've seen their defense give up a lot. BC just had to play probably maybe the one of the better defenses, not only in conference, but probably, you know, in top 20 of the country. I'm going to take BC. Give me the six and a half. I'm going to take them to cover this game. Yeah, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take BC as well here. Um, I think it's a bounce back week for them. Um, I think NC State is better than than we think. I think they're probably one of the three best teams in the ACC right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll take BC here. Um, I, I hard to trust Louisville to to close out a game and six and a half is probably just enough where I feel comfortable there. Absolutely. All right, well, let's jump out of the ACC, Brian, and let's head down to the Alabama-Tennessee game. Third Saturday in October. It's always been like that. It's one of the great traditions in college football. And I'm trying to look up here, have you seen any news on Hendon Hooker tonight? Is he cleared after getting kind of mauled at the end of the other game? You know, I have uh, I have not seen. Um, let me check real quick. Same here. Efforting, efforting, efforting. Optimistic outlook. Optimistic outlook. Day to day. So I mean, he could go. All right. Um, well- Either way, it's in Tuscaloosa. Alabama's laying 25 and a half points. Um, I, I even think with Hendon Hooker, um, obviously Tennessee's defense will give up points. 
the whole question is this is how much do they give up early? How quick does Nick let the gas off? If it was a guaranteed, I knew Hinton was playing. I would probably take Tennessee with the points. With him not playing, we saw we saw how Joe Milton looked, especially the how many overthrown passes playing pit like. Oh dude. man! In the first half, it was it was four bad ones. It was four bad ones, and probably another one that uh, you know was questionable. But he had one where the it was just a I can't it was a slaughter a tight end just streaking up the seam and just airbailed it by about eight yards. Like it like wasn't even close. close. So yeah, I'm taking Bama. I will lay the twenty five and a half points, um, whether it be a injured hooker or Milton. I don't think they stay close. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing. Um, I think it is. I think that line is about right, but I, I feel like it's gonna be about a about a four score game. Um, so give me Bama. Um, whether it's a banged up hooker or whether it's you know uh, more or less, <laughs> you like banged that? Up hooker. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's a banged-up hooker or a uh, Milton that likes to sail the ball, I, th- I think that's not going to bode well for them. All right. All right. Let's go down to the Big 12 where very interesting game. Top 10, Oklahoma State, who's number 8 at 6-0, and coming off a big win over – comeback win over Texas last week, goes up to Iowa State, up to Ames. It'll be a 3:30 kick, Iowa State 4-2. and Iowa State, pretty big – number here is a seven point favorite against Okie state. What do you think on this one, Brian? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Okie state all the way. I don't think there's a letdown game after the, uh, the win last week. I think they go out and handle their business, kind of assert themselves as you know one of the teams to watch in that conference going forward. Uh, so I'll take Okie state here. And I'm, I'm with you on this and it's not so much that, you know, I, I don't like Iowa State. It's that Okie State's playing a really good, really good defense. This isn't your normal Mike Gundy team where they're they're running and gunning and went beating teams, you know, 45-42. You know, every game this year, 16 points against Missouri State, 23 against Tulsa, 20 against Boise, 20 against Kansas State, 14 against Baylor, and 24 last week against Texas. You start doing that math. I mean, they're they're basically giving up right at 19, 20 points a game. And you know, Iowa State, Matt Campbell, if you ask me tomorrow, would I take him here? Probably. Um, his recruiting has never been that good, but I think he's a good football coach. But I, I, I'm with you, Brian. I've got to take Okie State because I think defense travels. I think that is going to be a heck of a game to watch if you like. 27, 24 games. Yep. Um, and I know some people don't. That's just like too much defense. But I think it's going to be a good old-fashioned slugfest there. All right, Brian. The the battle for the Jules Shalele. USC, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the favorite here, laying seven points. Um, and this is the very, very rare, very, very rare, USC Notre Dame seven thirty kick and South Bend. Um, very rare, very rare. 
USC three and three, essentially waiting for James Franklin to come take over the program. Um, last time they were out, they got their doors blown off by Utah. And it's kind of been that way just about every other week for them. They got their doors blown off by Oregon State. They got the doors blown off by Stanford. And honestly, I don't think Notre Dame has the horsepower to blow the doors off, but I think Notre Dame has the horsepower to win by more than seven points. Give me the Irish with the Freeman defense shutting them down. Uh, 28-17 Irish. Okay, okay. I'm actually right there with you. Um, I think this is a good matchup for Notre Dame, and I think they go out there and handle their business on defense. Um, I think it is a somewhat low-scoring game. Um, I think it's in the kind of 28-20, somewhere in that range. Yeah. It'll probably be, again, it'll probably be an entertaining game to watch. Um and I don't actually. Let me look at some with the night slate here. It actually might be maybe the most entertaining game in the night slate to watch at seven thirty. Georgia Tech, Virginia, NC State, Miami, Ohio State, Indiana. I want to watch that. Uh, Shane's playing the Aggies. Twenty-one point line on that. That's a uh, a pretty big line for there. Yeah. So. Yeah, that might be. There is no Pac-12 after dark this week. There is uh, there is early Sunday morning whack action if you want to look at Hawaii there. So, you know, if you're really a degenerate and want to stay up till 3 a, 3.30 a.m. Eastern Standard <laughs> Time, Hawaii, New Mexico, Hawaii's uh, playing 18. There is one more West Coast game, Brian, we got to jump on here tonight, and that is going to be where game day is. Yep. Feeling like the game day of old going to an important, even though it's the, not the top matchup of the weekend, a important matchup for the Pac-12 with Oregon and UCLA, a 3.30, so a 12.30 West Coast kick down in the Rose yep. Bowl. Number 10, Oregon is essentially a two-point dog here. What do you think on this game, buddy? Yeah, I'm I'm going Oregon here. Um, I think what UCLA doing has done is impressive, but I think Oregon just has a little bit more in the tank. They're they're going to be able to finish them off late, and I think they pull a pretty narrow win out, maybe a touchdown or less, but definitely covers that too. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Oregon's too good a team to not take points. Um, you know, sometimes it's just like a principal play, right? Like. UCLA is a good story. Yes, they're a home team and they're a favorite, but it's two points. They're literally saying the Rose Bowl and Oregon traveling from Eugene to L.A. is the difference in this game. That's yep. not the difference in this game. Oregon is the more talented team, um, so I'm definitely with you on that. All right, Brian, anything breaking in the last little while here? Uh Nothing I see, man. Nothing I see. Oh, do we miss? Do we miss two pickums? No, that's do ten. We do, do we do Miami and NC State? Oh man, I forgot to put that one on here tonight. 
I think I, you know what I tell you? I raced that. I did. I missed two pickles. Jesus Christ. The show is not over yet, folks. It's been a long day. Miami, NC State, Brian. NC State laying three points. Uh, let That's, me just say this. Yeah. Legal limit NC State is going to not only cover the three points, NC State is going to win by 17. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, that's a legal limit bet. NC State, um, whatever you got in your in your wallet, go for it. Go um, for it. Exactly. I, I, think, I think you're not going to quite see as much offensive output as Miami had last week. I think that was more of a of a one-off than it was a, a new that's trend. That's North Carolina. The only person yep. that can't skate on North Carolina is the Virginia Tech Hokies. Yep. And we still won the game, but damn, it was, it was a tough one. It was a tough one that should have been like – 34 to 10, the way our defense played that night. And that game is the 7.30 kick down at Hard Rock Stadium with the wonderful 8,000 fans that will show up. There we go. All right. Now, Virginia, Georgia Tech, up at UVA. Um, it's the 30th or 31st anniversary of the when UVA was number one game. Um, the year Coach Bobby Ross – took his Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets to the national championship. For anyone living in Richmond, if you've never met Bobby Ross and talked to that man, just a treasure. Great dude. Treasure. Great dude. Yeah. We got we got to hang out with him one night. He did a uh, talk down at Cap Ale uh, in the city. Um, it was him and uh, Michael Robinson. Yes, it was. Uh, Wes McElroy hosted that thing. It was it was a, it was a good good time down there. Uh, Bobby shared some good stories. Got to talk to him afterwards for a little while. Good all we around about dude. Fifteen minutes of one on one with Bobby that night, man. We yeah, I know you ran into him a couple what once at, at a gas station, right? Went into him the first time at a gas station, and I saw him uh, about a month ago. I cannot remember where I was, but I saw him. And I said, "Hey, Coach Ross, how you doing?" And he, if you say hey to him, he will say hey to you back. So he's out here in the West End of Richmond. Um, if you ever see him, if you recognize who he is, say who, say hello. He will say hello back to you. Um, yep. a, a living treasure here. But his Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, that team's way too spastic. As much as I hate, pains me to say this, I think UVA is going to win this game by about 14. I think, again, I think it feels like every game on the ACC slate this week, it's going to be very entertaining games. Yeah. Maybe with the exception of SSU, unless you take the 35 and a half and just sitting there like I'm going to be doing like, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, we're going to cover. So yeah. I'm taking uh, UVA there. What do you think? I'm taking Georgia Tech. Oh, God. <laughs> I, and, and I'm hoping they don't screw me again, but I'm taking Georgia Tech. Uh, I, I think they keep it close. I think it's very similar to that uh, UVA Louisville game. Um, I think it's going to come down to something at the end of the game that's going to kind of decide it there. I don't think it's going to quite be uh, more than the seven that we're laying here. So let me get let me get Georgia Tech there for that one. Georgia close it out Tech. with that one. Yeah. Wow. Are they going to win it? Uh, oh shit. Well, why not? Oh, outright win. Yellow Jackets, outright win. Fuck you, VA. All right. Well, if nothing hasn't broken, then Curtis, who overlooked on our rundown sheet here, 
two games completely because I'm watching the App State game and Coastal, that Coastal with the ball, who's got the ball here? Somebody's inching closer and closer to a field goal line. I think it's App State, 27-27. Yeah, um, two minutes left. Oh, my God. They've got – did you know the FSU uh, – you see that? You got that game up? The FSU no. ball is now a defensive coordinator for uh, Coastal Carolina. Hey. <laughs> I kid you not. All right. Well, if we've got nothing else, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you are there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our account on YouTube and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcast. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out, catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening, and let's go! Hokies! <laughs>